everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Druckmann. I am talking to Doc Searles, and we have a special guest today, Phil Windley. And we're going to talk about a few things, but before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone to visit our website at reality2cast.com. That is the number two, where you can sign up for our newsletter that we usually send out weekly, but occasionally we skip a few, but you know, we do our best. (laughs) And uh, thank you to all our uh, contributors, the people who, well, I mean, that includes listeners and that includes guests, but it also includes people who pitch in on things like coffee and Patreon. And uh, I did want to say we have just skipped a week because Doc was very busy with what we're about to talk about, which is the Internet Identity Workshop. And so we're back and here we are and we have a lot to talk about. So I'm going to hand it over. So thanks, Catherine. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I muscled Phil to be on the show because he is with me, uh, one of three co-organizers. Uh, he's like the most organizer of, of, of IW, which is what we call the Internet Identity Workshop. This is our 33rd that we just completed. We do two a year. We, the first one was in 2005 which used to seem not that long ago and is now <laughs> is now in the precambrian of of the of the digital age a little more about Phil Phil I, I think when I met him he was still the the CIO for the state of Utah um, he's a PhD computer scientist uh, uh, has taught and I think still does teach at BYU he's a uh, a former or retired commander in the US Navy um, father of five kids and some number of grandkids and 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 a, a peripatetic writer as well his blog is at technometria uh we'll put that in our show notes um and uh he's also at windley.com or org that's wind l-e-y and uh and he's deeply insightful and also one hell of a hacker uh he's uh he's the father of some things i'd like to talk about as well so or the co-father of some things. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks. It's great to be here. <laughs> so, so okay, we both did IW. We both went to lots of sessions. You probably more than I did because I had to do podcasts and stuff like that. Was anything different about this one other than the fact that we had to do it online again and not in the physical world? Yeah, so this was the, the fourth one that we've done virtual. And, you know, that, that was obviously a big change when we first did it, but um, you know, now it's kind of, it, it feels normal, although it doesn't feel necessarily like the way we want to do it forever. So, you know, that's, that's always a little different. I, I think that I could sense some, uh, you know, Zoom fatigue in people. I don't know if you got that feeling. It was... Uh, you know, there were more complaints about, oh, we got to be on Zoom all day than than there used to be. Uh, you know, so so other than that, you know, in terms of of topics, you know, you've been to all thirty three like I have, and it seems like there's always, you know, topics that are on the rise and topics that are waning, and you know, sometimes you're just kind of, you know, right in between some things, and it kind of feels like right now that. Uh, we're in a phase where there's a lot of technical discussion, more than, more than normal, right? Not as much policy, business discussion. And a lot of it is centered on decentralized identity or self-sovereign identity and the arguments around that and cryptography and how that's all going to work. So, 
so I think, you know, that's, that's probably where we're at, you know, a read of, you know, the cutting edge maybe of the internet identity space. I think there's a, uh, we should, we could probably even plot this if we look back over the agendas of all of them. Mm -hmm. If somebody took the trouble to like run some linguistic analysis on the names of all of the sessions that we have over the fullness of time, over 33 of these things and have our own, you know, the Gartner hype curve, right? You know, the yeah. things that are, that, you know, like, so uh, we had our blockchain phase, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, there was, you know, Microsoft's identity cards kind of came and went. Some things come, they don't ever get hyped, but are kind of persist. Uh, Kim Cameron and his seven laws have been sourced ever since we started in 2005, yeah. right? Yeah, it seems like they're always referenced. They're always there, they're always gospel. And, you know, but I think, it, I, I have a sense that self-sovereign identity is here to stay in a, in a way. It's, it's one of those things that sticks. And because we need it, we've always needed it. Uh, for the for the rest of the world, it doesn't know what that's about. This is basically where where each of us are in charge of how we present our credentials. Not all of identity. In fact, I know Phil, you like to avoid even the word identity with this. It, you know, if if all a place needs to know is that you're old enough to get in, or uh, if you have a ticket, or that you're a citizen of that state, or you carry a driver's license, or some other thing, they don't need to know more than that. And you have the, you have your own mechanism for uh, presenting those things as verifiable credentials. And then they get verified by some magic, which is arguable, but it's there. And, um, and that's how it works. And on the, on the business end, it makes things simpler because all you're doing is issuing verifiable credentials. You know, you went to this school, you know, you are this age or whatever it is. Um, and I've thought ever since the term came up that it's a better way to work. The, the only problem I've had with it is that 99% of the discussion about it is still B2B and not B2C or C2B. Is your yeah. thought about that roughly like mine or? Yeah, I I think we're in um, in violent agreement probably about, mm -hmm. <laughs> about that. Uh, I agree. It's kind of the way people think the internet maybe ought to work, but it doesn't. You know, we're just so used to this idea now of being in someone else's administrative system, right? In an account, logging in, whatever, that I, I think most people can't imagine that the internet could work any other way. But, you know, we're, we're both old enough to remember when uh, the internet and even the early web were you know, largely not places where you logged in. Yeah, you, know, you, you, you had some uh, presence where you were, but uh, you know, and, and I think of this as um, digital embodiment, right? That in the physical world, so much of identity feels natural because we are embodied. And, you know, that gives us certain properties and certain capabilities and sensory inputs and all of those things that over time have developed this kind of natural way that we relate to other people. And online, we're not embodied. You know, you, you and I, um, Catherine, we have websites. And in some sense, you know, we kind of have our own presence. But most people, uh, the vast majority of people, have no real uh, embodiment online. They don't have a presence online except within someone else's system. And I like to say that 
that's not necessarily all bad, right? In the sense that going to Disneyland isn't all bad. I mean, you know, Disneyland is a great place, but no one want. well, I shouldn't say no one. I'm sure there are people that want to live at Disneyland all the time, but you know, most people <laughs> don't want to live at Disneyland all the time, right? We don't want to live in an amusement park or within someone else's curated environment. We want to live our, our own lives. And that's where I think self-sovereign identity gets us. It gets us to the point where we can live our own lives online, operationalize our digital existence as it were. Yeah. It, I, I might want to live at Disneyland. No, I'm just, <laughs> huh. I mean, I, I wonder what the equivalent of that is in um, yeah. non-metaphorical terms. You know, I, yeah, well, I, I had to rethink that once it, once I thought it, I realized oh, actually, no, there I are people that want to live at Disneyland. Well, what, what it, I immediately thought is it's a, that's a very optimistic take on, on what the, uh, the web and the internet might be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of people think the web is Disneyland and their risk is getting stuck and it's a small world after all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. That and, and you know, rides to, to some extent, to, to, if, if that's all we want out of it, then fine. You know, if what we've got now is all we want, then great. But I think there's a number of us who imagine more, right? We imagine that we're going to have rich digital lives, not curated digital lives that's a good way of putting it curated because i think that's that's even the way this you know the sites and services feel about it especially the bigger ones you know like they're responsible for you you're you're a you're a subscriber you have an account you don't have to be a subscriber to have an account but but that's also you know subscription is sort of the way everybody wants to go everybody wants to be netflix now right mm -hmm. and and so you know, and a lot of things are, are shutting down or partly shutting down. I noticed that at Medium, which I used to write for more, I basically just duplicated what I wrote my own blog on Medium because I think it's a better writing environment in some ways than WordPress is. But now they're wanting to, you know, f you know, paywall the place. And, you know, there's the, the free part and the part that you have, you have to be a member anyway in order to get in. It's a... Uh, you know, it's it, it still feels very experimental to me. I think all of it's experimental, actually. Uh, yeah. But we still have to live with it while the experiment's going on. Um, we can have a, a, there is an intersection, though, isn't there, between um, rich and curated? And I guess it, it's the areas that don't intersect that are maybe the, the concern, right? If you have rich, but it, you want to be able to have rich and uncurated, but wh what happens when you get stuck in curated but not rich? Well, you could another, have both, though. Another word that I think is uh, important here is autonomous. Mm, yeah. Right. We we. I mean, if you look at why life, in in the large sense, is so amazing and beautiful and wonderful, it's because people are autonomous, right? And they act on their own and they do their own things. And yeah, we build societies and we create rules and laws and say, if you behave like that, we're going to lock you away because that's not right. But for the most part, people go about their lives and do what they want. Right. And mm -hmm. that leads to an emerging richness that isn't curated in any significant way. And it's the autonomy that allows that to happen. And, you know, when I say operationalizing our digital existence, 
what I what I mean there is we most people have no way of really acting autonomously. They can online. They can only act within someone else's system in the way that company or organization has decided they're allowed to to act. And it, and it may be, you know, it may be great. I mean, you know, there's there's places online where there's lots of things to do or, you know, but that doesn't mean that you can just go out and do your own thing unless you have certain skills and, you know, can build a website. And, you know, I think techies kind of lose, lose sight of this fact, but for most people, they don't have any autonomy at all online. Yeah. And I think that those um, manipulations, I think, as we, we talk about a lot, open up the, the web in general for exploitation, I guess you would say the yeah. more, the more trapped the users are in the less autonomy they have, the more evidently anyway, the easier they are to manipulate and feed certain, you know, or feed information and send down certain paths. I don't know if this is worth talking about or not, but it's, um, it's interesting. So I, uh, a good friend who's, well, I'm not going to name, um, because they're not in good shape and, and uh, it's not worth going into that, but absolutely fantastic writer. One of the best bloggers who ever blogged, got on Facebook and hasn't left and hasn't blogged since and lives there, absolutely lives there. In fact, if you look at my old blog, which is at weblog.searles.com, it's archived there. It's not active, but it, you can see it. Um, and it has a blog role. A lot of the elders among us will remember blog roles. Mm -hmm. Blog roles were like, here are, the, yep. here are the short links to, you know. All the, the smart to, people I know. <laughs> yeah, well, here are the blogs that I read and uh, try to read regularly. And well over half of those are gone. I think maybe three quarters of them are gone. Or if they're not gone, they're just parked there. They're not going anywhere. They're just sitting there and haven't been updated in years. And this person's is one of those that just sits there and... Uh, but most of the others are gone too, and most of them have, are, are still active on Facebook. They just took a walk and they went over to Facebook because it was easier. And then after it was easier, then it was easier to also to be friendly with other people. It was easier to, to, to find an audience. If you wanted yeah. an audience, that's where the audience went. And I don't, I, I, I used to think, well, if we had the completely end-to-end, point-to-point internet in a way that's easy to use, we can overcome that, but I'm not sure we can. I think, I think something social. I think that the web or the internet is a social space or a place that hosts social spaces is not going away. I think that's mm -hmm. there. Another lesson is there's certain things only giants can do, and I think that's another lesson. You know that there, if you want that kind of scale, um, you're going to have to have it there. I mean, I, I think. I mean, look what, and I'll, I'll mention, we're not, they're not a sponsor, but we have a, a connection with them, uh, personal connections, is, is Rackspace. And Rackspace mm -hmm. was invented by some guys that, who were students and, in uh, San Antonio, uh, who are now married to two women that were Linux Journal. And um, Linux Journal was hosted there in the beginning. I think it was even in, at the dorm or whatever they were renting nearby. We've known them for many years. They had a really great successful period before basically Amazon Web, Web Services ate all of the smaller, just basically outcompeted all of the smaller 
web web things you know i mean all of the smaller hosting services they're still in that business um they're still alive but they're but basically amazon and google the bigs have won you know they've won yeah. and at that we need we need the big utilities to do the back end stuff that only the big utilities with lots of servers and lots of bandwidth and lots of um cooling and and economic advantages of of bigness can do uh, and I don't include Facebook in that, I, but I do think for search, as long as we're going to have search, we're going to need something to scale of Google or of, or of Bing, which I believe uses Akamai anyway, um, yeah. Yeah. To, to do that. And Akamai's in that business too. Uh, so that's kind of a lesson. And I think what we've gone through with identity is that there was this period where we said, when basically OAuth, which allows login with Facebook and login with Twitter and login with the rest to happen, was baked to some degree during IW at yeah. a lot of sessions there. Uh, yeah. We should take some credit for that because it's a it's a great it's for people who don't know, it's kind of we don't like to call it an unconference because it really is a conference, but it's an open space conference, which means there are no there are no um no panels, no keynotes, it's just all breakouts. And then everybody shares their learnings at the breakouts or holds a series of breakouts over three days and lots of stuff gets moved forward. And, you know, OAuth was one of them. But the idea behind login with Facebook or login with the idea behind OAuth was not that you're going to equip the giants to be your, your agent for logging into everywhere on the web, but that's what it became. Do I have that right, Phil? Yeah. 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 And, you know, so there's unintended consequences. Of things. It's not a bad thing to have that. One of the sessions that I held address something that Dave Weiner had brought up. Uh, somebody accused him of because he has a new blogging system that basically replicates everything that was best about blogging in the early days when it was based on, especially his, which are based on outlining, and which I used. If you look at my old blog that I mentioned earlier, it's, it is basically an outline. It's OPML, and it, which Dave also authored. And But Dave has come up with a new blogging system called Drummer, uh, which is in the process of being completed through its baking cycle with a lot of help from users. But he has, to make it simple, he has just, you log in with Twitter, you know, it's just log in with Twitter. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, that's, that's what I use for identity. And I thought, is login the same thing as identity? And so that was my question for a session. I had like 30 or 40 people at that thing. And the conversation went all over the place. But the end result thing was, no, it's not the same. <laughs> You know, yeah. just logging in is not anything to do with identity. It's a convenience and you don't have to use it. You could have some other random name is, you know, you could just set up a, you could set up a Twitter account for nothing but logging into things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't have anything about you. And, and Twitter doesn't care, I assume. Right. You know, so, yeah. so, but that's Twitter one doesn't. of the things. Some platforms what, do. What's that, Catherine? No, Twitter doesn't, but some platforms do. Some platforms can. do. And yeah. Some platforms tie that that OAuth sort of ability to things that are closer to your identity. Apple is one that I'm thinking of. I think it would be harder to spoof on Apple. I'm not sure. And Facebook cares. I don't know how well it's enforced. How much do I log in with Apple? I'm trying to think. Do I? Do I? I don't know. There's this, um, I know when with Apple TV um, and now with Roku, which we have on our new cheap TV that we got, a Hisense TV, never heard of that brand before, but they're the cheapest ones at Costco, uh, that has a Roku in it. 
And it's like, okay, you log in with your cable provider somewhere else, right? I, mm -hmm. You know, as long as you so make that's, sure you're allowed to watch television. <laughs> yeah. Is that a what, Phil, if I'm logging in? Probably, my, probably. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know specifically about how cable TV is doing it, but I don't know what they would use if they weren't using OAuth. Yeah, it's just yeah. an authentication protocol, I, I guess. And I think with Apple, you know, I say that, you know, obviously you could create an Apple ID and use it just for logging in. It has nothing to do with your identity, but because of the Apple ecosystem, that just seems unlikely. I mean, it's the, the yeah, it's it, it has become your identity because it, you know, if you, if you are a person who is in the Apple ecosystem, you, you obviously know what we mean. If you're not, then it, then it might seem strange, but your Apple ID becomes so much your identity that it's, it's hard to think of in terms of uh, the ability to make it not your identity. Well, uh, it's, it's a weird thing. It has been a while since I've used an Android phone, but um, is there not a similar thing with Google in that case? Oh yeah. Yeah. In order yeah, to definitely. Google maps and Google everything, you know, yeah, you, you can log in, Google. you can log in with Google. Yeah, all of that, uh, and it's and it's all OAuth. I mean, even Apple's thing is OAuth, mm -hmm. although I'm sure they have changed it enough that it's completely non-standard. Because why not? They're Apple. But... <laughs> they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but yeah. So so I think you know, I was in that session you ran about um, does your login equal your identity? And yeah, like you say, we concluded that it doesn't. No. But I think to many people, um, e even developers and others who who build you know web applications, they do equate logging in with identity, right? I mean, they, I, I, the world of identity is no bigger than authentication, and of course, you know, it's much more than that. But but that's what they think of, right? And you know, I, you know, Dave says all he he doesn't get much information, and I think. I haven't looked at Twitter's OAuth stuff for a while. I suspect that you can get some information like the profile and and that sort of thing. But uh, it's, you know, those few attributes are just not what anybody would think of as their identity. It's it's interesting. I have a, a, a former client in Europe in a completely unrelated business, but they do... Uh, it's not even facial recognition. They do age estimation using photos, um, mm. and 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 all they need to know is you know is that person really thirteen or fifteen or something, and then they check it against you know, and they're basically checking algorithms for stuff, the, their own algorithms for for doing that for age estimation, and because they have an age estimation service, and they are just getting some heat because. It's assumed that they're getting biometric, full biometric information about people, which they're not. But what the reason I bring this up is because a problem for a lot of companies right now is that, and I think a you know, problem for Dave in that, in that particular instance is they actually have no interest in a lot of stuff, but they are imputed to have that interest. It, it could be assumed that they have that interest mm -hmm. or that they have the technology for doing something that they have no interest in doing, but because it's conceivable that they might have that. They do a lot of denying. You know, that's that is kind of the new thing that companies do. They're busy denying that they're doing this, that, or the other thing because it's really hard for any <laughs> expert, much less a muggle. You know, the, the the wizards have a hard time figuring it out and then say stuff, and then the muggles come along and say, "Oh my God, I'm in trouble." Yeah. You know, it's you know, it's kind of like the vaccine issue. You know, um, 
you know, Bill Gates is putting microchips in the vaccine, right? And you're getting it. Uh, you know, but if you if you're suspicious to begin with, you can imagine anything. With technology, you can imagine all kinds of stuff. This, it's all science fiction now, right? Yep. <laughs> I suppose it's all it's all science fiction. <laughs> Hard to understand how it works. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you to, to jump the tracks a little bit here, because and I'm going to jump two tracks at once. One is the metaverse, which came up during the uh, one of the sessions or more of the sessions at IW, and the other is Picos, which you have a lot to do with and co-invented and, and, and so forth. And, and it has to do with, with actually what I was told by somebody who's in a position to know or says they're in a position to know, and they've made right guesses before about this, of what Apple is up to. Um, with the, their version of the metaverse, which they're not going to call that because that's what Zuckerberg calls what he's doing, but it's a similar thing where you wear a thing on your head and you look around your room and, and you see things. So it's mixed reality or something like that. And that's where yeah. they're going. You know, you'll have home pods around your house and you can create a soundscape in your house and stuff like that. But where it goes toward selling and buying is that I, you know, let's imagine that there's an Oculus that Apple has two or three releases from now. And, and it's tied in with your rest of your Apple, everything, but that's less important than um, if I'm here and I'm looking around, I'll say, uh, that's my battery charger, that's my phone, that's my um, focus right that I'm talking through right now, and my mic mute that I hit earlier when I was coughing, and the mic that I have, it's identical to yours. This is a an entirely audible, <laughs> we're seeing each other on Zoom, but this is only recording. And these are these are some headphones made by AKG. And I can, I can then say, geez, you know, I really do need a new set of headphones, those are my last ones. Hey world, this is intent casting. Something I've been working on with, and many others have, yeah. with, with Project VRM and allied things. Where I can intent cast, and I'm looking for this. Or the example this person gave was, he, I'm I'm looking around my house, and here's my living room, and I want to renovate it, and I want to look at different colors. I want to look for painting. I want to move furniture around. I want a new couch. Couch goes there. What can I, you know, what can I do with that? And where this, regardless of how pie in the sky or wrong or weird that is this gets me to picos because with picos you co-invented a way that anything you see in that room that is is um a physical thing but not necessarily smart can have its own intelligence because you've identified it mm -hmm. and given it an instantiation of some yeah. sort so tell us a little bit more about that because i think it's it, i have thought and i've said this before on the show if i were half my age I would go out for money to get to do that. And I know you've gone out for money to do that and haven't gotten it. I, and I set you up with VCs that didn't understand, but I still think it's a fabulous idea. Yeah, well, it's, you know, what, what you were describing is, you know, this idea of the physical things in your world having digital, a digital existence, right? It goes back to the idea we were talking about earlier about digital embodiment mm -hmm. and not just for, you to have an operationalized digital existence but you know can your bike or you know your microphone or you know whatever physical thing have a digital embodiment and uh, you know we there, there's a whole spiel here about you know what would you do with that why does it matter uh, you set it up with the metaverse and and you know virtual reality mixed reality kinds of things which i think is is a great way to think about it uh, one of my favorite books 
is um, Rainbow's End. Mm. And it, it's uh, Werner Vinge, I think it was written in 2006, which you know means that now a lot of the science fiction that he was imagining has partly come to pass <laughs> mm -hmm. or, or, or been passed by. Uh, but, but I still like it. And the reason I like it is because, you know, in this fictional story, he describes a world just exactly like what you were just talking about. This, this kind of mixed reality world and um, you know, the, the good and the bad, it's not a utopia. It's not a dystopia. Um, you know, it's got a, it's got a great story. You know, it lives and falls on the basis of uh, hierarchical naming systems, which, of course, you know, is near to my heart. So, you know, so I, I, I love that idea. But, but the, but, you know, I think it's really hard to think about what would such a world be like. And of course, you know, I don't know that Rainbow's End is the is the truth, right? That's not necessarily the way it's going to turn out, but it's one possible way you could imagine those kinds of things happening. And in that world, I mean, literally everything has some existence in the digital world as well. And so how do you bring that to pass? You know, you, you could bring that to pass at the behest of Apple and Facebook and other companies, right? So that all of your digital existence, including all of the interactions you have with things in your house in this mixed reality space, are by the grace of whatever service you happen to have signed up for, right? And, you know, if you're a Apple household, you know, all of your stuff is, you know, connected and online by the grace of Apple. And if you're, you know, a Google or a Facebook household, and of course, you know, now, you know, when I walk or into Amazon, your house, yeah. you're a Facebook house and none of my, I, I don't see anything. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's dead to me. I mean, you're nowhere, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm nowhere. It's just like this black hole to me. Um, you know, one of the things in the book is that because, you know, mixed reality is so prevalent. I mean, everybody literally has, you know, connected contacts and everything else and connected clothes. And because it's so prevalent, they stop putting any beautiful facades on buildings because everybody's really just protect projecting whatever facade they want on everything they mm. see. So there's no sense spending any money on the facade of the building. <laughs> you know, so literally what you're just saying yeah. is true, right? I mean, I walk in your house and it would yeah. just be like, Draw unpainted drywall. <laughs> That's what it's, a, it's a wireframe. Yeah, wireframe. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, is that the world you want, or do you want a world where it's all interoperable and the things in your house are somewhere under your control? We talked about autonomy before, and yeah. you know, is, is this your space or is it the space that you happen to inhabit by the grace of you know some company, and it can get taken away for you, not for just for not paying, but, you know, for whatever terms and conditions they happen to put on it, uh, you know, so that's, so, 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 you know, that's just, I think, you know, a choice we have. And, you know, this is all a long way of getting to, you know, what, you know, you brought up Picos, you know, one of the reasons why I love Picos, built Picos, work on Picos, you know, think about Picos is because, they offer an opportunity for this decentralized autonomous existence, not just for people, but for things as well. And, and that, that autonomous existence, I think, is really necessary for us to have a 
digital world that we want to inhabit that doesn't just feel like hell. <laughs> I was thinking that you have, let's say you, all of everything you have in your house has a Pico, which means it has its own independent digital existence. Doesn't mean it's on the internet. It does mean it's in the internet of things, however, meaning it can be on the internet. You can, it can be among your possessions. You can choose to expose them or not, but it has this independent existence which in a way we still don't ourselves, right? <laughs> if all yeah. we are is where we log into. Yeah. This is a, a point Paul Trevithick, who was there this time, brought up way back in 2006, which is the, and many other people have pointed it out as well, which is the internet doesn't come with identity. And that's actually a feature. It's not a bug. It's just, you know, the world doesn't come with it either. You have to get named by your parents and then you get renamed yeah. by friends. Like I got a nickname, you know, you're Philip. People call you Phil. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, uh, you know, it's part of the way the world works, but it, it's one of the reasons I think it's still really early, but the, the economics of this come to play at some point, which is that I, not only do these things have a kind of value to me and a fungible value if I, if I want to sell them, um, or rent them, but, but there's a whole new kind of weird value system that comes into play when it becomes easy to transact all this stuff. Like, I was thinking there was another session on real estate, actually at the last IW, but we talked about it some at this one. Um, what, I mean, something is happening right now is because pr housing is so getting so pricey mm -hmm. and that one of the reasons that the prices keep going up is that, and I forget the name of it, but there's a, a, a kind of entity that's an investment thing. I mean, in other words, investors are buying up houses. They're buying up houses not to flip them, but to turn them into rentals. And if that persists, that's a kind of agent Smith of, of, of the housing market that will end up having the whole thing or most of it. So that mm. the next generation coming up, well, they can't afford a, you know, a quarter million dollar house, much as a half or a million dollar house, you know, a half million dollar house here in Bloomington, Indiana, or a $2 million house in Silicon Valley, right? Same yeah. house. Uh, yeah you know, because it's just not even thinkable. They're not making that kind of money. But if it's already owned by somebody, they can pay the rent on it. They can pay 3000 4000 a month rent, maybe, you know, it's going to be half what they make, but they can, they can at least pay that, right? That's sort of the world we're, we're going to. So I, to tell us a little bit more about like, the PICO stands for persistent compute object. That's right. That, yeah, just want to make yeah. sure people have that down. Yeah. And, um, you know, PICOs are, are a computational model. I mean, think object-oriented programming kind of thing. Um, it's an actor model programming system, but they're internet first. They have persistent storage, persistent state. And so they, they're perfect for creating digital twins for physical things. It's not the only thing you can do with them, but that's you know, one of the primary uses we've had for them. As you know, I build a connected car platform called Fuse that had, you know, uh, uh, three or 400 customers and about a thousand devices out in the field. The whole reason for building Fuse was to prove that you could build an internet of things product that felt just like all the other internet of things products in the sense that, you know, there was an app and a device and, uh, you know, you plugged it in and you could, you know, see the trips on your car and all of those kinds of things. But the, primary difference was how the data model worked in the sense that 
you were autonomous. You had autonomous mm -hmm. control over the data about your car. And in fact, could take all of the rules, data, and everything else and run it on your own server, move it to somebody else's server. So it's an interoperable model, kind of like how we picture email working rather than a hosted model that you might imagine you know, somebody building as a, as a platform kind of thing. So, so that was really, you know, the, the goal of Picos was to define that kind of thing. And you know, they've been around for, I don't know, going on 13, 14 years wow, now. So, so they, wow. you know, they're fairly mature. Uh, we've got good documentation. Hundreds of developers have used them. So it's, it's, um, it's a good system. I want to point out, I, I had a fuse uh, the basically it's a little gizmo you plug into the your car actually has an interface it has a back plane it it's a uh, it's called the odb2 port and it's yeah. the roman numeral two and your the data your car produces goes out that port or can go out that port and um i think most of us know that if you get a, a new car even a relatively new car it actually comes with a cell phone in it and it's busy narking on you to uh, oh, Toyota yeah. <laughs> or whoever at all times. Of course, if it's a Tesla, it's doing it on purpose. You're completely aware that you're you're a puppet. You're tethered to the thing. But <laughs> but that's a that's a new thing. That um, but the cool thing with the fuse is that this is your data. You had it. You knew you knew how far you went. You knew what your mileage was. You knew what all kinds of other stuff about what your car was doing. That the car makers. Didn't, was, we're never interested in you having, but at least they went to the trouble of putting that interface on there. Yeah. And it's still there. It's still it's there. Still there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, you could like, like a, you know, email model, you could take that and move it somewhere else and have all the same functionality. And mm -hmm. that's what we were trying to prove was possible. Uh, you know, it's funny. You talk about uh, the, your car narking on you. I, I mentioned Rainbow's End earlier. The primary character there is a guy who's who had Alzheimer's and has been cured by some new miracle cure. So mm -hmm. he's waking up in this world that he has doesn't know anything about. And he takes a self-driving car out into the desert because he wants to go somewhere. And the car literally refuses to go down this road because it's, you know, that I can't remember exactly, but like the BLM or somebody has closed the road. Right. Uh -huh. So, so it's not his choice whether to drive down that road or not. The car literally won't go down the road. And, and you think about, you know, self-driving cars, e even, even not self-driving cars that are connected, you know, imagine, um, you know, some terrorist activity in a city and the authorities having the ability to just shut down every car and stop traffic where it is. Now, I mean, there are some who would say, well, that's great. Now we can catch, you know, the bad guys before they get away. But, you know, think about what that means to have to, to lose the autonomy of movement, right? Mm -hmm. That you no longer really have control over your vehicle. And, you know, that's just one thing. I mean, you know, everything's going that way. Uh, you know, that Moore's law, um, you know, if you just think about the fact that you can buy a connected Android-like device for about thirty to forty dollars in some places, mm -hmm. and now think about Moore's law. There's a time in the not too distant future where that thirty-dollar device costs thirty cents. Yeah, where yeah. are connected Android-like devices going to be when they cost thirty cents? They're going to mm -hmm. be everywhere. 
right? Every t-shirt you buy is going to have one. Right? Mm. <laughs> I can't wait. We're in hell. <laughs> anyway, y'all talking about you're talking about cars. I got a new new car recently, and and you know I saw something. Of course, I immediately think of Doc when I turn it on, and the privacy policy pops up. I'm right. like, God damn it! Your GDPR car. has made it into my car. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do not want the cookies in my car. Come on. And yeah, it's. I you know I got. I got effectively the base model or the the fewest features because I'm getting to the point where you know I it's not a self-driving car, but, you know, I don't want it to correct my driving. And, you know, it, it, it creeps me out every once in a while when I forget to turn off the thing where it's like, stay in your lane and it will slightly adjust for you. And I feel like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm that person now that I'm, you know, I'm becoming resistant to technology. But I think oh, no. those little changes, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big leap from, you know, a 1985 Ford to, a Tesla, right? But it's a very small incremental change when you start adding, you know, first it was, you know, uh, blind spot detection, and then it was lane departure warning. And then it's like, oh. well, let's just also just drive you back a tiny bit into the lane. And, you know, it's these little changes where, you know, I think, um, well, I think it's necessary for humans to get used to that sort of thing. But, it, you know, whether or not it's desirable, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's jarring to me at times. Well, I'm, I'm schizophrenic because, you know, on one hand, I rail against all this stuff, but I do have a Tesla and on a trip, I, I will let it drive me everywhere because it is just so much more relaxing, even though you got to keep your hands on the wheel and watch. It's just so wow. much more relaxing to let the car drive. So, so, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm schizophrenic. I'm not, I might I'm be a control freak. <laughs> might you know, be a little bit of a control because yeah, <laughs> because I, I love the benefit of it but i'm also aware of the potential danger yeah you know and we see and we see this danger all around us i mean you know we can postulate you know the the future car world of where this would all go but you know there was you know doc brought up brought up biometrics um earlier you know the the biometric database that the u.s built in afghanistan for good purposes, then when they left, fell into the hands of the Taliban. You know, what might that kind of regime change mean for that kind of, of technical system? You know, it, it's similar to the, the Apple thing where they were going to scan for child porn on, phone, on phones. You know, I, I love the idea of reducing child pornography, but you know, once you've got a system that you can scan people's phones for certain kinds of pictures, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to imagine, you know, some regime insisting that we do that or, or that yeah. Apple do that. Some um, regime like the, the U.S. maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, I just saw I just saw a story today where Apple removed um, the Bible and Quran applications from the app store in China because they do business in China and their policy is to follow the laws of the country they're in. Fine. I mean, that sounds great. But what happens after they build this child pornography scanning system and then China says, oh, you've got to scan for fo photos of people uh, of Tank Man, right? The Tiananmen yeah. Square Tank Man, because that photo is actually banned in China. Right. So, yeah. so are, is Apple going to say, okay, we'll scan people's phones for that and turn them in? I don't know. I mean, 
you've got those two pieces of evidence that they're building the system to scan photos and they are you know, bowing to the wishes of the country they're in. It's a terrible how they, idea. How do they yeah. balance that, right? I, I don't know. I'm glad I'm not them, right? I, I would yeah. hate to have to make those decisions. You know, I, I, I was thinking that on, on the one hand, it's wonderful to be able to sit in a Tesla and it does all these things for you. Um, my wife has a new, now a year old, um, Toyota Camry. That's uh, it's a, the top of whatever line it is. And it's a hybrid, right? So it's got even mm -hmm. more stuff because it's hybrid related. And I, I did a, a blog post. I, I stuck it in the chat. Um, we could probably put it on our newsletter. There is a baffling variety of symbols um, for everything. <laughs> I mean, just and, and, and not all of them are very obvious for what what they mean. You know, there and and there are all of these acronyms: TSS, HUD. I'm looking at DRCC, LDA, LDA with SA, LTA, AHB, <laughs> PCS, RCD. These are displays: RSA, BD. BSM, RCTA, RCTB, VSC, EV, ECO, TRAC, QI. It goes on. I think I think I, I looked through their their literature and stuff. There's over a hundred like symbols and things. I think it's some baffling number. And of course, she hates it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, and 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 you know, and I kind of long for it, but I re I rely on some of them. You know, there it has. Uh, you know, when you're backing up. You know, it has a way of telling you when you're going to run into something. Although I did manage to scrape it a little bit going around a corner and there was a rock and I didn't see the rock mm. and the rock scraped something and I hated that. But it, it's, you know, we're moving in a direction and we're running low on time too because I'm going to turn into a pumpkin very shortly. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. More for next time. <laughs> More for next time. Yeah, well, we could, we could do a whole show on cars. I know. Oh, we it's, should. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Well, you should come back and we can. I think we know. need to have Petrus on. He has some extra expertise there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Phil, it's been big... great having you. It's been too. too well, thanks. Uh, it was great to be too. here. And, you know, another IW in the books. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll do uh, 34 next April, the, the last week of April. And, you know, hopefully we'll be in person. That's the goal. Computer yeah. History Museum. How many people did we have at this one? 325. 325. I thought it peaks at over 400 or something. Yeah. That's a, wow. that's a pretty good group. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining us and, and thanks everyone for listening to all of this and uh, we will. <laughs>